0: Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now here's Derek with the message have you ever found yourself to be your own worst enemy you ever find yourself sort of self-sabotage like man i thought i was going to do this thing right i set out to lose weight right anybody ever set out to lose weight and then like six months later you're like i don't really know what happened i stopped going to the gym i eat twinkies eat donuts eat all kinds of things, right? And, and, and somehow, I just sort of self-sabotage my, my own health. Or what about, uh, you know, I'm going to get uh, you know, financially stable, right? And so I set out, I make, I make a budget, right? How many times have, I, have you made a budget? And, you know, you make a budget, and you, you say, well, we're going to have, my wife and I, have, we're going to have a weekly check-in on our finances, right? And then like four weeks later, people are like, hey, how's that going? And you're like, i just not, have you ever had that happen? Have you ever been sort of your own worst enemy? Or maybe you, you're going to set out to learn something. You buy a guitar because you're going to learn to play guitar. You buy a keyboard. Uh, you buy a set of drums. You're just going to learn a musical instrument. Uh, you know, or you buy skis. How many of you got skis? Did anybody buy skis? You have, I'm just going to do a thing, right? And I'm going to learn something new. And then like six months goes by and the thing's collecting dust and you're really just not sure what happened to it. Anybody ever have that? You've been your own worst enemy. You know, often one of the things that, that uh, happens is that the cause of like the collapse of, of a great endeavor or of a great company, a lot of times we think, well, it's something out there, right? Something happened that caused this to collapse. But have you found it to be true that a lot of times what causes a great endeavor to collapse really is internal, have you seen that? A lot of times you find, uh, you know, great marriages, right? You, people married, they look happy, and then you find out they're divorced. And you're like, well, what happened? Was it an affair? Did somebody, somebody do something to you guys? Did they take your house? And it's just sort of like a long road of failing to invest in intimacy and failing to invest in relationship. That's a lot of times we are our own worst enemy. Or maybe on, on a, on a corporate side, there was a company in the the 90s, many of you will know as I describe it, who uh, made it really, really big. They got really, really rich and became uh, very wealthy uh, because there was an unregulated energy trading. And so they got really good at managing uh, energy trading. And so they started to make a whole lot of money. And by the end of the 90s, some of you weren't even born then. This feels weird to tell us... Way back when, for those of you who weren't born then, uh, but by the end of the '90s, this company was sort of like fraudulently making up kind of statements and financial statements. And then at the very beginning of the 2000s, they wound up, and the company was Enron. Maybe you will know the company name Enron. Uh, they were their own worst enemy: fraudulent books. Or, or you know my favorite lately. I just feel like I've been listening to this podcast. But you know there, this church got planted in the mid '90s and uh, in Seattle area, and uh, it grew really fast. Lots of people meet Jesus in this church. It started planting lots of other churches, which on the surface you would look at and go, "Well, this is a success. That's what we want, right?" But it became evident that there was a character issue. And by 2014, Mars Hill Church kind of collapsed and Mark Driscoll kind of collapsed. And it hurt a whole lot of people. It wasn't something outside of Mars Hill Church that caused it to collapse. It was character issues that were left unaddressed. And you know, if you look at church, at the church, even recent memory, so many churches and leaders have collapsed not because something outside happened, but because there were unaddressed issues character issues. We are our own worst enemy a lot of times. You know, and so the, the, the point here is what causes the collapse of so many things isn't external. It's internal. What causes the collapse of so many things is internal. We've been looking at the book of Nehemiah because uh, we believe that it sort of gives us a picture of things that we can aspire to as we, as we le- uh, lean towards our, our grand opening, which by the way, is two weeks from today. Two weeks from today. And I don't know about you, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for who has the record of how many invites. I, I think within staff, it's between Jerry and Evan, I think, is, is who's winning that race. But, um, and Evan thinks it's him. Um, but, but two weeks from today, we're doing a grand opening. And, and this book of Nehemiah is great because God calls Nehemiah... to to endeavor into this huge undertaking. And he calls him to go to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and he rallies together the people, and and the favor of God is on him, and he rebuilds the wall in 52 days with the help of a whole bunch of people. And so we believe that there's something in there that we can take away from that as we build towards two weeks from now. Uh, and, And this week, what I want to talk about is that the greatest threats to doing something for God often are internal. The greatest threats to doing something for God are often internal. And to say it another way, if you want to build for God's glory, deal with your own stuff. So I'm calling today's message Get Your Own House in Order. And uh, let's pray and then we'll look at Scripture. Would you pray with me? the so Holy Spirit, I do invite You to come and to continue to move among us. God, I pray that You you would bless us with Your presence, Lord. God, I pray that as I speak, Lord, Your words would come through. That nothing that's, that's from anywhere else would come through but only Your words, God. I pray that You would put power on the words that I speak. Holy Spirit, would You come and empower me? Lord, I pray that You would release gifts of faith. And I pray that You would release gifts of healing today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 if you're keeping score at home. We're just going sequentially through. One, two, three. 5 is where we are today. Nehemiah chapter 5. I'll give you just a second. If you need a Bible, there's a couple on the steps here. And we're going to look at Nehemiah. That was fun. Nehemiah chapter 5. And here's what we read. Beginning in verse 1. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have, have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They keep quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise so may such a person be shaken out and emptied at this the whole assembly said amen and praise the Lord and the people did as they had promised you know as you look at this and we've talked about this a couple of times when you look at scripture if you want to be a good Bible uh, learner the important question to always be asking is why is this here Why is this here? Why is this in the Bible? You know, if you look at uh, chapter 4, Jerry preached last week, you look at chapter 4, and it's this uh, external threat, right? You you see these guys sort of bringing threat against the the building project. And if you look forward to chapter 6, it's another reference to external threat. And yet, chapter 5 is internal threat. Why is this in the Bible One of the important things and the points that we want to make today is that it's because internal threats matter. We build our lives a lot of times around dealing with everything out there, and yet we never deal with in here. And so one of the things that we take away from this passage is that you and I are capable of and prone to sinfulness. Is that news to anybody? Anybody like get here today and hasn't sinned yet today? Can we clap for you if that's you? No, okay. All right. Well, every last one of us is prone to sinfulness. Every last one of us uh, deals with this. And let me sort of like make this from this passage. The passage starts out, people are complaining about a problem. They're saying, we're kind of being taken advantage of. And if you dig a little bit, what you find is that there's a famine going on. And sort of the, the wealthy among the Jews have found a way to exploit the, the not so wealthy among the Jews. And so they're, they're lending to them, but they're lending at interest. And so the people who are well off, they're making a whole lot of money, but the people who are not well off, what's well, creating a problem? And the problem is that they're having to mortgage their own properties. They're having to, what you see there is, sell their own children into slavery. And some of you go, I don't know what to do with that. Slavery in, in the Old Testament is not the same as slavery in this country, but we can have that conversation another time. But they sell their own children into, into servitude because they can't afford to live. And this, this is the well-off Jews basically taking, uh, exploiting their brothers and sisters to make more. And here's the point. All of this is explicitly forbidden in Scripture. Let me take you on a little bit of a tour, okay? Exodus 22, 25-27 says this, If you lend money to one of My people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to Me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Don't charge interest. Leviticus 25, this is a fairly detailed one. Beginning in verse 35 says this, If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, this is the slavery I'm talking about, do not make them work as slaves. They are to be treated as hired workers or temporary residents among you. They are to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then they and their children are to be released and they will go back to their own clans and to the property of their ancestors. Because the Israelites are My servants whom I brought out of Egypt. They must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God." And the last one, Moses is about to, to die in Deuteronomy 23.19. He says, Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether on money or food or anything else, that, you may, that may earn interest. Now you might say, well, there, you know, there's a whole lot in the Old Testament. Have you ever read the whole Old Testament? How many of you read the whole Old Testament? This is not intended to be shameful. Um, there's a whole lot there, right? And you, you might go, well, you know, Derek, there's a lot of stuff there and maybe they just sort of missed it. It'd be really hard to remember everything you know it'd be real hard to remember all the the commands and i'd be inclined to agree with you except if we think about where this falls the israelites have just come back from exile and one of the reasons they were exiled was for doing this exact thing the prophet said over and over and over stop taking advantage of the weak among you here's what it says in amos chapter 2 says this is what the lord says for three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. What's the point? These are people who should know that sinfulness is possible, right? These are people who should know better because they've been already uh, dealt with for their sinfulness, and yet, they still engage in exploitation of their brothers and sisters. The point I'm trying to make here is every last one of us is prone to sinfulness. Every last one of us. It doesn't matter how high up the chain you think you've gone or how long you've followed Jesus. It sneaks in. Sinfulness is tricky. It sneaks in into each one of us. So often we find ourselves battling what's wrong out there, right? We find ourselves fighting against everything. We've got to deal with the abortion debate. We've got to deal with this. and We've got to deal with the way that we handle immigration. We, it's all out there. And yet we have no look into the inner parts of ourselves. G.K. Chesterton was a preacher of 100 years ago. He, he said, what's wrong with the world? I am. What's wrong with? Until we can answer that, here's what he said, uh, his quote says, the answer to the question what is wrong is, or should be, I am wrong. Until a man can give that answer, his idealism is only a hobby. What's wrong with the world is us. We are what's wrong with the world. Now you say, well, sinfulness, what are you talking about? Augustine in the 5th century said, sin, sin is life curved in on itself. That life is actually supposed to be lived outward toward other people. And whenever we self-serve, when we serve ourselves, that's what sin is. That's what Augustine said. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite lines, I, I put this in here. Uh, you guys know the song, Come Thou Fount? You know that song. It's a great song, right? The, the, one of the last, uh, the last verse says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that not a description of, of what we feel so often? The only way we don 't feel that the reason those words have so much import is because they 're so true and if we don 't feel that we 've deluded ourselves. if we don't feel that at any moment we 're like capable, capable easy for me to say capable of wandering, then we 've deluded ourselves. every last one of us is is. Uh, As it says, um, O to grace how great a debtor. Every one of us is in debt to grace. Every one of us is counting on God's grace. And if it's not God's grace that keeps us, we're in a lot of trouble. Every last one of us is prone towards sinfulness. The second thing we learn here is that you can't deal with it on your own. We can't deal with sinfulness on our own. Look at verse 6 again with me Then Nehemiah. It says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. This is Nehemiah speaking. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. How many of you have a friend like Nehemiah? How many of you like a friend like Nehemiah? Who, who comes into your face and says, what you're doing is not right. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have people, I know some of you do, Do you have people who have authority in your life to come to you and say, that's not right? Do you you have people like that? I mean, that's a serious question. Because at best, the, the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be a community of people who are collectively walking toward the kingdom of God. Every last one of us is supposed to be collectively walking. But nobody gets there first. The best picture of the church is that we lock arms and nobody gets left behind. It's so this is supposed to look. And so what should happen is that you have... Not everybody. Don't just sort of... I mean, it's not cute to stand up in front of everybody and tell everybody all your business. Right? Anybody like that? Anybody like it when somebody stands up and starts telling everybody their business? But you should have somebody. Do you have someone in your life who sees everything who you have given the authority to say, hey, this thing in your life is going to keep you from Jesus. If you don't have someone, can I encourage you pastorally to get somebody? Small groups? I mean, there's lots of people here who would love to walk with you, I would imagine. But if we don't have that, see, there's one of the things that's happening in our culture today is that we believe that we can do a Christian life without a community of people. That we've sort of bought into this lie, this idea that we can do Christianity on our own. We don't need help. We don't need anybody to walk with us. I can be a Christian all by myself. Do you know what falls away when you do that? Accountability is one thing. You just sort of set your own standard. It's just sort of following Jesus and, and living a life of holiness that matches what you've been called to just sort of actually becomes... Whatever you're comfortable with. The other thing that goes away if you're not living life in community is mission. If you're sort of like, yeah, I can do Christianity all by myself, what goes away is mission. You are not intended to do this on your own. You're intended to do it with other people. Now, why would people not do that? Doesn't that sound great? Don't I make it sound amazing? Two Two people thought it was funny. Everybody else was like, I'm not sure what he wants here. Why wouldn't we do that? I can think of a couple of reasons. The first reason is pride. Right? The first reason is pride. I just don't want people to know that I'm not okay. I show up to church and I put on a nice face and everybody thinks I'm doing really, really well. Meanwhile, on the inside, I'm dying. But God forbid anybody know that I'm not doing really, really well because I, I have appearances to keep up, right? Pride. Of course, God doesn't exactly care for pride. He opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but it seems to me if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't want to be an opponent of God. Just, just my thought. That's just untrained. But the second reason is fear, right? I'm, not a, I'm a little afraid of being that vulnerable. I think we all deal with that right like what will happen if i share who i am with other people what will happen if they know the ways that i'm broken i'll tell you this much you can't get whole until you share it with somebody else and they walk with you anybody want wholeness you want to live a life that's marked by the kingdom you can't get whole unless you do it with other people So every one of us is prone to sinfulness. And we can't do this alone. The third thing is, your own sinfulness has to be dealt with. Every last one of us has stuff that has to be dealt with. Right? We all have stuff. And here's the the interesting thing. Nehemiah gives us a picture of what, what I would refer to as insufficient ways to deal with sinfulness. The first one, if you look at verse 12, He says, then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. Do you catch this? He, He confronts them, gets in their face, and they say, he says, I want you to do something different. And they're like, all right, we'll do it. And then he goes, I don't trust you. I want you to take an oath. One insufficient way to deal with your own sinfulness is to take an oath, right? I swear I'll never do that again. I'll just make a bigger and bigger promise You know, I know that I walked down that road, but I'll never do it again. I'm healed. I'm all better. Everything is okay. Oaths. One way to not deal with sinfulness. The second one is uh, verse 13. Nehemiah says this. He says, I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. feels like a threat, doesn't it? It doesn't help to threaten people either. Anybody ever get something? I mean, on the short term, you can work that out, right? We can deal with sinfulness on the short term with threat. If you have kids, you know this one. Right? If you don't do this, you're not going to get to play video games. That's the big one in my house, right? (laughs) A Couple of amens. You can deal with sinfulness on the short term with threat, but long-term transformation doesn't happen through fear. So what's the right way? We've sort of taken a look at our hearts. We know that there's, there's things that don't, don't match what God desires for our lives. We know that we have to walk with other people. What's the right way to get whole? The right way to get whole is surrender. It's surrender. I give. I give. It's the way into the, into the family of God and it's the way on in the family of God. That everyone who follows Jesus should be in this continual process of surrender. That every time Jesus points out something inside of our hearts that's not right, say, I give. I surrender. Hey, that, that mindset that you have, that, that you're, you're awfully hateful toward those people. Oh, you're right. I surrender, Jesus. You know, you, you, you sort of look at things on the internet that you shouldn't look at. You're, I surrender right you're awfully you're awfully mean at work yeah. anybody mean right the way forward is surrender it's not oaths it's not threats it's surrender the way to get healed the way to get wholeness it's surrender Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.